0: You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter.
1: All right, we're going to get into the Word of God today. We've been in a series on what it means to be a life-giving church. What are the components of a life-giving church? And so Pastor Bill is going to come and preach to us from Philippians chapter 4. Verses four through nine. If you don't have a Bible, there should be um, an ESV story Bible in the prayer room. You can grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, you could take one home with you. That's our gift to you today. We'd love for you to have a Bible, be studying it weekly, and uh, be following along with us as we study the Word of God together. So let's read the words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi in Philippians four, verses four through nine. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is God's word.
0: Thank you, Pastor Dave. Um, First of all, thank you to John for uh, sharing with you about Brazil today. Um, John, if you don't already know this, John is on staff at Life Church uh, on a part-time basis, but doing a lot more than just part-time work here. He's been a great asset to the church, and he is the director or the uh, leading the, uh, the the kind of the global missions thrust of Life Church. And so, it's great to have him. Here because he's putting these things before you, and this is things that you didn't always get before, because we didn't have the time to do that. Um, and so, I really appreciate him doing that. And he's working with all of our people who are right now over in Africa and other places. He's staying in touch with them and encouraging them and kind of pastoring them uh, uh, far away from us right now. And he'll uh, arrange for times for them to share with you when they get back. So, I appreciate all that that John is doing, and I appreciate your prayers uh, this morning. Uh, Where I'm going, where he talked about Belim, is on the equator, uh, just south of the equator. It's on the mouth of the Amazon River. Um, It is winter there, so praise the Lord, it's only about 100 degrees there right now, so that's really good. Um, But uh, winter there is rainy, uh, so it's wet, it's damp. And that does create sometimes problems for you, especially if you're speaking a lot and not getting a lot of sleep. The dampness and all of that uh, can intrude on that. So uh, please pray the last time I lost my voice on the last day in the last teaching segment. And it was hard. It was really hard to go through that and battle the voice the whole time. And I I, I don't get sick, and so when I do get sick, That's hard for me. That's hard for me physically. It's hard for me emotionally uh, to be sick. Uh, I don't like that that place of weakness very well. I don't do well in that. So, need your prayers for all of that. Uh, I'll be leaving early Tuesday morning to go there. I could spend the whole time talking about Brazil, but um, today is a great day in life, church. And I want to talk to you about some things uh, in light of this series that we're doing right now. the whole series, as David said, is about being a life-giving church, and it's really about creating a right culture. And that's something that happens in in churches, it happens in other organizations, it happens in families, uh, it happens in communities. Uh, There are ways in which culture develops. A nation can have a culture about it. And to be quite frank, our nation right now doesn't have a great culture about it, all right? Uh, And so we're having to live with inside of that and being affected by all of these different kinds of cultures, if you will. There's a guy named Rodney Clapp, and he defines culture this way, and I'd like to just read this to you. I think it's pretty good. The culture is the things that make people and that are made by people, whether that's music, television shows, sports, consumerism, technology. There are subcultures within a larger culture. Every family has its own culture. Every church has its own culture. And so the reality is that the culture of this church is not determined by the culture of this nation or any culture on the outside of us, but it's determined by us. We set, we establish, we maintain, we cultivate the culture inside of our church. So then the question for us has to become, what is the culture of our church? And when we describe ourselves, beginning with our name, Life Church, and we use terms and expressions like being life-giving, then we need to have a culture that expresses that kind of message to the people outside of us. So anyone coming in here... More than reading the name and getting a clue off the sign, they need to walk in here and be able to experience a very life-giving culture, a place where they feel that they can flourish, where they can thrive, where they can live and grow, and where they can experience acceptance and all the things that they need to feel safe and good in this life. And that is challenging, isn't it? It's challenging for me, so I'm sure it's challenging for you as well. And and the reality is that that we live in a world that has given us a culture that is very negative. And so it's really important that you and I are living out of a positive place, a, a, a really positive platform, a positive position in our lives. And uh, I know a couple of you are looking at me right now and going, oh, no, please, don't, don't go down that path. We don't want to go down that path of positive thinking and all that kind of stuff. We want to stay in the Bible. Well, I'm going to tell you something. The Bible is about as positive thinking and exhorting and encouraging as you can get. And so it's really interesting that you and I, when we get on the other path, that path of negatives, negativity and uh, critical thinking and a critical spirit and grumbling and complaining and those kinds of things, we are actually on a path that is incongruent with the culture that God has established for His church. And so when you and I find ourselves in that place, the only response that is right and good and helpful for us it's to change course. We have to recalibrate. We have to rethink things, if you will, at that point. Now, let me take you back to a time in the life of King David. I love King David because King David is very transparent in his life in the scriptures. We see King David as being a great leader. And I, I teach a lot of my principles that I teach on leadership. I, I pull them from King David. All right. And that, that's a good place to land. He's a great leader, but King David also battled depression. He, he battled negativity. He battled a lot of, of anguish and agonizing in his own inside, all right, in his head, in his heart, in his emotions, all right? All of his inside could just get in turmoil, and he could go downhill fast. He could really spiral down. And there were major things that happened sometimes in his life that contributed to this, but sometimes it was just where King David was. It's where he found himself, and he would be in these places of really battling, staying positive. Now, granted, when he uh, speaks in Psalm 42 and he asks himself some questions, in other words, he's talking to himself, all right? So we got some self-talk going on here and as he talks to himself, he asks himself a question, and then he answers himself. That's really good, all right? That's a good thing, all right? So we want to learn from King David. Self-talk is a good thing, and some of you ought to practice it a little bit more. You don't have to do it out loud, all right. You don't have to do it in a group of people out loud for sure. They'll think you're crazy. But the reality is you couldn't be smarter. You couldn't be brighter than to look at yourself and self-evaluate, realize the condition that you're in, and talk to yourself there. It's believed that when King David wrote this particular psalm that we're talking about here, and I'm referencing, is he had just been kind of run out of Jerusalem. His son Absalom, who he thought would be a prodigy to him, all right, and, and, and would carry on, was actually trying to overthrow him on some levels, all right, and was certainly working against him and was power hungry, and all kinds of things were going on. And there were other times in David's life where the the women and the children were captured and taken away from from, uh, the company of men that were around him fighting for him. And and at times, some of these people actually talked about stoning David. And they they had had enough, and they didn't like the circumstances that they were in around them. And so they went into some outlandish talk about destroying the very man who would be king and who who would rule over them. And so when David gets in these places, he has to do something. And what David does in that particular passage, it says, he looks at his own heart and he says, why are you cast down? In other words, what's going on here? What's happening that's making you go down this spiral? And he says to himself, I'm going to put it in my vernacular, hey, buck up here all right? Put your hope where it belongs. Your hope isn't in the people around you. Your hope isn't in your circumstances. Your hope isn't in your ability or lack of ability. Put your hope in God. And that's where David would go. And there were various times in his life where David went somewhere else and got off track, and he had to evaluate his life and come back. And every time He came back to the place where he was grounded, the place where he had foundation, the place he could build on and stand on, and that was in God. And when we stand in God, we stand in who we are created to be. We stand in the identity that we are given from heaven itself. We stand in the purpose and the destiny that God has for us. And when we stand there, we do everything we can, and we stand, as the Scripture says. And so we stay there. That's that's where we live, if you will, all right? So what I want to say to you today is that that what you say is important. And that's why self-talk matters. Because just as surely as you can talk yourself into a good place in God, you can talk yourself into a bad place outside of God. And that's where you will find yourself based on how you are communicating to you. And believe me, if you're affected by the circumstances and the culture around you, believe me, the church is affected by the circumstances and the culture around it because it's all of us who are in the church. And the culture that we create is determined by the experiences that we have going on around us and the circumstances that we find ourselves in. All right? It's often said we are what we think. And science has actually sort of proven that out. And that's an important thing for you and I to realize. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 says, As a man or a woman thinks, so they are. In other words, you can dress however you want to. You can look good on the outside. You can have some really good image work going on. All right, You can do a complete makeover. You can do a complete turnaround. You can change all of that. But unless what's inside of you changes, you are not a whole and complete person and the outside is not evidence of what the inside is doing. And that's why people can look so together and so positive and so perfected and be absolute chaos internally. And there's only one place you can go, folks, and that is to God. Because nothing else will ground you in the place that God can ground you. One writer talks about this whole thing of how that we are basically the sum of our thoughts, both negative, both positive, and that the reality is that we grow stronger when we fertilize this Container, if you will, that's flourishing and growing, hopefully. When we, when we give it the kind of constant repetition that it needs, and that's in a very positive kind of feedback, where we're really pouring into and speaking into who we are. It's amazing how many times I have set someone down and I've gone through a list I have that are identity factors that we have in who we are in Christ. This is who you are because of Jesus, all right? All right, and you are beloved, and you are accepted, and you are desired, and you are precious, and you're written in the palm of his hand. He dances over you. He sings over you. These are all things that the scriptures tell us that we are, or we have because of our identity in Christ, and they're going, yes, 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 yes. And then they walk up and they walk out of my office the same way they came in. The reality is they have not opened that container up. They have not opened their mind and their heart open to receive this truth and this reality of who they really are. There was a time in our history when a proclamation was written It was the Emancipation Proclamation. It was written for a sole purpose, and that was to free every single slave in this nation. No longer would any man or woman of any color be a slave. It would now be illegal. And the reality was that many slaves felt freedom in that and were able to walk into their freedom, and they were able to embrace it. But the reality that in certain parts and places, even though the freedom had been given, there were a number of African-American slaves who stayed in slavery because they did not know that the emancipation had been written, and in particular, that it had been written even for them. And so they continued in slavery. And it took time for that reality to come fully and for it to work itself out. The Bible says that those who are free are free indeed. But the reality is sometimes we stay enslaved to things because we don't understand the fullness of our freedom. And the reality is that sometimes we can speak bondage to ourselves and and enslave ourselves to thoughts and to mindsets and never ever become fully free and so we live inside of a bondage though in reality our identity is one of completely free and this is a dangerous place for us to live because if you are in bondage you never fulfill your destiny You never move into those things that God has for you and you never have that full and rich and complete life that God wants you to have. If you think you are bound and can never be free, you are bound and can never be free. Because as you think in your heart, you are. And Jesus says, I came to set you free. You were a captive, but now you are a free man. You are no longer enslaved. And this is the way God wants you and I to live. And when we don't stay positive up here, when we don't stay in that place of thinking as God intended for us to think and thinking as God has instructed us to think, then we enter into bondage. We enter into collusion with the devil. (laughs) We enter into this evil alliance with the enemy and we give him power and authority to hold us in a place of bondage. And the devil devil will never free you from that position. And God has already made the means and given the authority and the power for you to be freed from that position. But the reality is that there is a responsibility on your part for that freedom to actually happen. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning for a few minutes, all right? And this is the passage that David read to you. And I want you to understand, and and everything I'm telling you, my friend, science has simply already confirmed it, all right? And you can can get on the internet and you can see and read all of these things, all right? But I want want to focus in right here for just a few minutes on this passage in Philippians, especially the passage that says, do not be anxious about anything, all right? In everything, let your request be made known to God. And then in verse 7 It says, and the peace of God, all right? That peace, and by the way, we can't understand that peace. It surpasses our ability to understand it, all right? So you don't even need to try to figure it out, all right? Just receive it by faith and live inside of it, all right? But that peace will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus, all right? Guard your heart, the place where your emotions move you, all right, and guard your mind, the place where understanding and truth should prevail. All right, God's peace will guard those places. Now, you're told in the scriptures, the command of one of the scriptures is for you to guard your heart. You don't have the ability in your own strength to guard your heart. You're not, who can know the heart? It's so wicked, all right? It, it's, it's, it's at times elusive to us. At other times, it screams at us. It, it just erupts our emotions and causes us to make really poor choices sometimes. So it is a wicked place in and of itself. We can't even know that place, all right? But we're told to guard that place because it's vulnerable and it's precious. But we guard it through Christ. Christ has the ability to guard our heart as we come into relationship with Him and as we grow in that relationship with Him, all right? So the question is, or the battle for us is, how do we stay positive in such a negative world, all right? And the, and the, VA, the, the where the ESV here starts to talk about these things, that we read about here that we are supposed to think on, all right, it says, it names them things that are true, things that are honorable, things that are just, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are commendable. Things that are excellent. I haven't heard a a negative uh, phrase in there yet, all right? All of those things are very positive things that are being talked about here, and that's where we're supposed to think is in these places, all right? Some of the translations, other than the ESV, says fix your thoughts on these. In other words, focus in, meaning narrow it down. Now I've heard such a, a, over all of the years of my ministry, I've heard a complaint from the secular world. The church is so narrow. The way the church thinks is so narrow. Well, they're right. It is. We are. Narrow in, folks. Fix your thoughts on these things. Stay here. Stay in this Place, all right? And, and and the reality is that this passage actually is talking about the battle that we are in. Alright? And it really is a battle. And 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, talks about that. It says, We, that's you and I, not the Lord, okay? We need the Lord to be able to do what we do. Alright, please understand that. I am in no way saying you step outside of God and don't depend on God, and you do it in your own ability are. Anything like that, okay? No, 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 no. I am not saying that. Everything we do, we do because of the God that is in us. We are strengthened by the Lord, all right? And that's another passage of, of King David, is to strengthening of ourselves in the Lord, which he did oftentimes, okay? And so I'm, I'm totally advocating that what we do, we do in God or in Christ, okay? But the reality is that we have to do some things, all right? We, the Bible says, destroy arguments, In other words, if we're in a valley of decision, if we're in a place of deciding something and we've got something good to decide and we've got something negative to decide, we're in a a valley of decision, we are responsible to make the right choice. That responsibility is on you and God will give you a way out. God will give you an opportunity and and an avenue to make the right choice. So we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every, if you've got your Bible open and you're following me, just circle that. Every thought captive. For what purpose? To hold it? No. To obey Christ. The reason we take our thoughts captive is so that we have the ability to be obedient. And the danger is when we don't rein in our thoughts, we enter into disobedience very quickly. And that may not be something that is seen by other people. You can look as though you are following God and your heart be as wicked as ever. I remember when I first became a Christian and um, <clears throat> I met a lady and she was of the Holiness Movement. Now, down in South Georgia, if you're familiar with the Holiness Movement, it's a unique movement of people who have a great deal of outward holiness. The churches that I grew up in, the women wore very long dresses, all right? They were mid, uh, oh, they were about right there, all right, even in the summer. Long sleeves, button cuffs, they buttoned their cuffs, and you couldn't roll the sleeves up. I would have been run out of the church dressed like I am today if I tried to preach in a holiness church in South Georgia, all right? I was expected to wear dress pants and a long sleeve dress shirt and preferably white because colors were worldly. No jewelry. Well, I don't want to go there. That's good enough right there, okay? That's, that's where I want to land, okay? But there was this tremendous outward appearance which said, look at me, I'm holy, you can see it. I'm holy. And I met this woman and she was holy. She she had really long hair. She wasn't allowed to cut her hair. And she wore it in this unique kind of dew on top of her head. Like we us kids called them Pentecostal he- beehives. You know, they were just like these big things like a hornet's nest on, on the top of ladies' heads. They were their crowns, you know. They're the crown of holiness, you know. Um, and so so that was what it was. And uh, and, and we made fun of them, unfortunately, and I repented of that. I did, okay? But long dress, no makeup, very, very careful, very quiet. And I said, when you get to heaven, what's the first thing you want to do? And she said, I'm not going to heaven. And I'm, I'm like, what? And she goes, like, I'm not, I'm, I'm, she goes, I'm not a Christian. And I'm like, wait a minute, but you're, you're, you have all of this, this look And she goes, yeah, I do. She goes, I look the part. I grew up in a holiness family, and I'm holiness in my indoctrination. And this is the way I am, and I I guess I hope that some of it will make a difference for me in the end, but I don't think I'm going to make it because I don't know Jesus like you know Jesus. And I walked away, like, devastated as a young Christian. I'm like, what in the world is going on here? Because I had been put in that same indoctrination that if you do all the right things and you look the right way, you will be right. And the reality is you could be very, very wrong. you can look like you got it together, but if your thoughts... Are not in line with scripture and you're not here where we're talking about you're missing the mark totally and you know what if that's the case your life is toxic and it's most toxic for you because what you're doing is you're poisoning your own thought process you're poisoning yourself internally make no mistake about it you and I live in a negative world And the circumstances we encounter, they lead to either being positive or negative. And we can get overloaded so quick, but I want you to understand something. God's intent for you is that you walk close to Him, you walk in the direction towards Him, and you realize and live in the truth that He has provided for you. And the reality is that He has provided peace for you in the midst of all of this that is going on around us. All right. There are two really wonderful truths that I want you to understand. And, and you, you, you kind of find this in, in John chapter 16, I think, and I think it's about verse 33. But somewhere in there it says, these things I've spoken to you that in me you might have peace. Jesus is saying this to, to his followers. In me you have peace. Now, in the world you'll have tribulation." But be of good cheer, all right? Be okay. Be, be, be happy, all right? I've overcome the world. In other words, you can do what I've done. I've overcome this world, and you can overcome this world. Now, there's two things he's telling you there. Please understand this. He's telling you two things. One is you can find peace, but it's only in God. You don't find it anywhere else. So whatever you're trying to do to accomplish your peace, drop it. It's fruitless. It'll never happen. Alright? It's only in Christ. So don't try to circumvent God to get your peace and your happiness because you'll never get it there. Alright? The second thing you need to understand always is that the only thing that you can be sure of that this world can give you is tribulation. It may package itself in something that really pulls and screams and draws at your sensate uh, physical uh, soulish desires. And you may think that if I just had that, that would make me happy. That would make me feel good. That would make me feel better. You know, folks, there have been times... When I have been like a little bit sad, I realize I'm from fun country. I'm a happy guy. I know some of you don't come from the same land I come from, and I understand that, and I respect that, and I'm not in any way discounting the battles that you struggle with, depression and those kinds of things, and some of you, you have really tough places that you go through, and I respect that, and and we have lived in that in our home uh, for all of our married lives, and so we understand that, and and we have great, great respect for that, but I I just am from a, a, a happy place, And I tend to be pretty positive and pretty happy. But there are some times when I can get really sad. I can get really down. And when I was a child, I battled all of this. I battled it to the point of wanting to die, of actually trying on one occasion to... to, I just wasn't smart enough or old enough to really know how to do it. And so it didn't work. I just went to sleep. And I slept for a while in the back of the car, and my parents thought I was weird anyway, so they never checked on me. And so that's just the way it was, you know. But, but there was so much about life that I hated, and there was so much about me that I hated. And I had convinced myself that I could never be normal, and that something was wrong with me. And that was the way I was living. And it was only the grace of God that lifted me up and moved me out of that place. And it was understanding who I am in Christ that that changed me. You got to understand, I was the proverbial wallflower. I lived in the corner. I lived in the dark place. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I actually didn't like people. Who would have thunk it? But that's, that's where I was. That was a time and a season in my life. But it required me to move. It required me to make a change, to shift, if you will. And there were a lot of things that that I didn't like about me in that time. But God gave me joy, and God gave me the ability to see life in a whole different frame. And I still have to talk to myself. But here's what I want to tell you. There are days when I don't feel so great about life and one or two things happen that are triggers and when they do, there is nothing I want more than a cheeseburger. I'm talking about a greasy cheeseburger. I think about it like it is in my brain to get a cheeseburger because, see, a cheeseburger will satisfy something in me. And I figured it out over time in prayer. And and I like to understand myself and why I think the way I do and what my triggers are and how I respond and all those kinds of things. And you know what? Every day when I was a kid, my mom would come and pick me up from school. And school was hard for me. And I didn't enjoy all of that. And I I was bullied and I was taunted. And there was a lot of really negative things that went on there. But every day my mom would come and pick me up from school and she would take me to the local drive-in. The drive-in was a place where you got cheeseburgers. And every day at 3.30 in the afternoon, I got a cheeseburger. And somehow my mind told me that that was my comfort, that that took care of things, that made it all better for a little while. Not very long, but for a little while. I don't know what your cheeseburger is, but it'll only take care of you for just a little while and then you'll need another one and another one and your cheeseburger may be a cheeseburger but your cheeseburger may be a drink your cheeseburger may be porn your cheeseburger may be a dark place where you think awful thoughts that no one else knows about it's your secret place you go But for most of us, a whole lot of our cheeseburger is just the thoughts we are thinking because we choose to think negatively and we think it makes us feel better to do that. And the devil has deceived us and it's a lie. It's a lie. And so Paul says here, you need to focus. You need to focus on what is true. You need to focus on what is honest. You need to focus on what is just. Focus on what is pure. Focus on what is lovely. Focus on what is of a good report. Focus on only those things that have virtue and are worthy of praise. And don't go down the other path. It's sad that a lot of Christians are not positive. But God's intent is that you would be. God's desire is that you would stay in that place. So the first thing God wants you to do is understand where your heart really is. Where are you, Adam? (laughs) God asks you and I that question all the time. Where are we? And his intent is that we be in a place that is very positive. Because I want want to tell you something. God proved he could take the ugliest and make it the best. And he did that on Calvary. Calvary. When he could take everything that was wrong and everything that was bad, and he could put his son into that and let him be beaten and torn apart and nailed to a cross. He took everything ugly and he put it in a grave, and three days later, he brought forth the most positive announcement you could ever bring He's alive. Amen. He's alive. He's alive. And that message reigns to this day. And God's intent is that everything you and I say is alive. Everything you and I say is positive and life-giving. That we live in that positive place. Oh yeah, there's some bad stuff, and we got to walk with each other, and we got to confront each other, and we got to correct each other. And we don't. The, the greatest thing you can do as an act of love is go to your brother or your sister, and if you know they're in a tough place, pull them out of that. Say, come on, let's get back. Whatever, what will it take? Let's get you back. Let's pull you up out of that dark place. That's the most loving thing you can do is to confront that darkness and that sinful place in your brother or your sister. The reality is you do it in such a way that everything that comes out of your mouth speaks life. And you and I live out of that place of thoughts that are so positive that we are developing that kind of culture around us that every single person can flourish. I got, I got to stop, but I got one more thought to give to you, okay? At, at, at the last part of that, that passage that David read for you, it says there, Paul says this. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace, that peace that covers your heart and covers your mind, it will be with you. There's a passage in the scripture that says, you will go out and weeping, but you will come back rejoicing, bringing your sheaves with you. Here's what I want you to understand. God has called you and I not only to experience this love, but to share this love. And the intent is not that you stay where you are, but that you actually get to the place where you go out and share this love. The greatest way you can stay positive is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone else. Get into the harvest field. When you go out, even in weeping, even in sadness, even in some negative place, go out, share the gospel with someone, and the reality is that when we bring others in and they have experienced the gospel, that is the greatest joy we can know and we, that we can experience. And it's funny because God has called us to make disciples, and Jesus said, go and make disciples in all the world, throughout the earth, and that is the call that we have is to go and make disciples. And the reality is, regardless of how we feel, if we get in a positive mindset and we go and we make a disciple and we bring that disciple in to be discipled fully, the reality is that is the greatest joy and the most positive experience on the face of the earth. And so God's intent is that you stay positive so that you can bring a positive message to a lost and dying and negative world. And when you do, when you come bringing in your sheaves, as it says, bringing in your harvest, there is great joy in that. And that is the antidote of negativity, is sharing the gospel, this beautiful message of the cross with those around us. There's so much more we could talk about in talking about being positive, but this will do for the day, all right? You with me? All right, let's set a pattern here. Let's look at where we're at and where we've been, and let's walk different. Let's recalibrate, and let's move ourselves to that place where there's some good self-talk going on inside of every one of us, all right? And if you need someone else to come along besides you to do that, get them. Get them on board with you. Start with an honest confession. Hey, I'm a critical person. I've been critical. I've been judgmental. I've been talking about people. This It hasn't been good, And I've been just spewing out negativity. Help me. And then let that person walk with you and point out those places where you're susceptible to this kind of talk and be accountable with one another in this process. All right? When you hear your pastors being negative, talk to us. Point it out. Let us know. We don't want to be there, but we know we can get there. All right? We need your help. Help us to create a culture where all of us are flourishing and being life-giving. Pastor.
1: Amen. Thank you, Pastor. I want to invite the worship team up and our prayer team to come on up and just give you a moment to respond to this. There's a lot here. And I think this is something that every one of us could say, hey, I have struggled with this at some point in my life. Maybe you're there today. Um, what are the thoughts that you're thinking lately? Uh, how are those thoughts affecting you? Uh, where, are the, where are the places in your thought life that just aren't submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? And maybe you're sitting there and you said, well, hey, wait a minute, Pastor Dave, just a couple weeks ago, you talked to us about being real and not faking it and, and being honest and, and having transparency. And now here you're talking about always being positive. Which one do I need to be? And the answer is both, right? Um, and that's what, that's what Pastor Bill's saying here today, too, that, that because of Jesus, we have the freedom to be honest and real and open about where we're at but also because of Jesus and what he's done in the resurrection. We never have a place where we just stay in a miserable spa. We always have hope. Because of the resurrection, there's always hope. There's always, the future is always bright for us as Christians. And so we always have a place to come out of that. And we want to invite you, if you're really battling with that, just to come up and pray with someone today. If you're here today and you say, hey, um, I don't know what this, this whole story about Jesus is. Maybe you're not a Christian. You've never heard this good news that Jesus came, died, rose again from the dead the third day so that you can have a bright future, so that your, your life really can have um, a hope that is unsinkable. We want you to come and be prayed for today as well. We want you to come into that hope because apart from that, positivity is really just sort of a mindfulness exercise, or it's dependent on your circumstances, Right And and how many of you are going to stay positive all the time if it's dependent on your circumstances? I'm certainly not going to. But Christians have a hope. They have a joy that goes outside of our, our circumstances. It surpasses our circumstances. And that's what we find in Jesus Christ as our Lord. And so we'd invite you to come for prayer. Be ministered to. But let's just take a moment right now. And as the worship team begins to, to pray, examine your heart. Do what Pastor Bill's saying. Just like ask the Holy Spirit, will you show me? Um, what I've been thinking lately, will you show me those, those broken thought patterns that are nagging me, that keep coming back, that just are, are killing my joy, that are just destroying the life inside of me that you intend for me to be able to give to others, right? Jesus gives us his life because he wants us to give it away. So we'll spend a few moments just reflecting, and then we'll sing together.